It's Thursday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafarcast. Frank is across from me. Yo. Frank has the uh, sexy phlegm that uh, if any of you ever watched Friends, Frank has become a professional singer now. Frank, are I've you got sick? The, I don't know. I, wanna do, I, got the, I got some sort of congestion going on. So that little asshole is probably going to get me sick. But It's from the shows, man. I blame the shows. <laughs> you shouldn't have made me go to the show. <laughs> yeah, I went hunting. Frank went to the show. I can't complain. But uh, we've, uh, we've got a guest on today that uh, I've been wanting to get on for quite a while and uh, been in the industry, well, a long forever. Uh, Danny Ferris with the uh, Outdoor Sportsman's Group. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So I had you explain to me shortly before the podcast started what exactly the Outdoor Sportsman's Group is, what that entails and what you do. And at a certain point, I can't remember even what you said because it was so much. So you want to kind of cover what you do as well as the <laughs> Outdoor Sportsman's Group? Yeah, sure. The, uh, the Outdoor Sportsman Group is uh, basically the group that owns uh, Outdoor Channel sportsman's channel and a pretty big portfolio of hunt shoot fish magazines um ones that the uh hunting community are going to recognize are bow hunter magazine peterson's bow hunting peterson's hunting game and fish um and north american whitetail and then on the shooting side guns and ammo's location and on fishing would probably but there's other ones that go along with it and in addition to those magazine brands there's a pretty big portfolio of digital media and social media that goes along with those brands so uh, my position with the group is associate publisher of peterson's bow hunting magazine and bow hunter magazine and then i also produce our tv show bow hunter tv that airs on both the networks so that's, so that's it no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, was gonna say. I thought there was going to be more no it's good so You've been in, uh, so, uh, you know, rewinding back when I um, I was in the Army, I was stationed down at Fort Carson in 98 or 9, and yeah. you were friends with uh, what I like to refer to as Bipolar Bill, which would be Bill Pellegrino. Bill, if you listen to this, <laughs> I'm sorry. I like Bill, but... <laughs> He does have a bit of a mood change every now and then. I don't think he really likes me either, so that's all right. Like, you know, you know what? I, I, I think I've told you this before, Aaron. There's no doubt, Bill, there, there's a little New Jersey in Bill that comes out every now and again. And, and you know, his Danny closest saying friends his asshole. No, one to say. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bill is a guy that will give you the shirt off of his back. Um, he's on he's Tuesday. not someone that is... Is no, no, no. I, I got to say, man, he's a he's a good fella. You and him, uh, you on a, you and him ought to give it another go one of these days. That's for sure. Oh no, don't take it that way. I get along fine with Bill. I don't, I don't have issues with Bill. He's cool. Um, he, uh, I haven't talked to him for, for a long. I mean, quite a while. But no, and you got to figure, Bill knew me. Um, a long time ago, and you you know you you're dumb when you're young. I don't care who you are, you do dumb things or whatever. Yeah. And Bill was the guy to beat in tournament Absolutely. archery, so it's not like I'm not in denial here. Like Bill had every reason in the world to get irritated at me, but I remember you <laughs> popping up in conversations, and I remember your photography. Um, you know, now that obviously I've gotten into photography, I remember your your your. I hate to say the word trophy photo because we might get yelled at, but trophy photos were something that I kind of, I'd say, aspired to to kind of hold up to because 
I don't like the back of the truck photos. I think they should be tasteful and represent what hunting's about and a respectful photo. And yeah. yours were amazing. Dude, that, uh, that's a pretty big compliment coming from you, considering that your photography kicks the snot out of mine these days. Um, I've, uh, you know, life got busy for me. Um, I've got three sons that are all out of the house now. One's in the Army. Um, one is playing college ball. And another one is just starting an electrical apprenticeship. And then I've got a daughter that's still at home. She's 16, just uh, a sophomore. But during that time when we had three of them in high school and one of them in junior, in junior high, uh, man, I just I didn't have as much time to put in for, into photography as I once did. And I've kind of let it slip a little bit. All my equipment's kind of old. I still get the job done. But... Um, I look at some of the, you know, it's come a long way, like especially with social media and uh, Instagram. And it's really funny because in the beginning, I felt like, man, I've got some stuff that really shines on Instagram. And now I look around and I'm like, holy crap, man, you need to find some time to pick up your game. You know what I mean? And you're one of those guys that I, I see your stuff, Aaron, and, and I'm like, man, there's somebody that's doing pretty well. For a guy that barely graduated well, high school, <laughs> I'm happy I've gotten to where I am. But you were the guy, one of the guys that got me going initially. Not even that, I didn't even know who you were. I mean, I knew who you were, but I didn't really know exactly what you did. And, you know, this is obviously years ago. And then kind of as time went on, I, I knew exactly who you were. And you were friends with uh, Mark Smith. Mark had brought you up yeah. a few times. And I would just see you in magazines and in the photos there. And so... You know, you know, kind of as time's gone on and, and the industry, which is the question I'm about to ask you, has changed dramatically because you're heavily involved in print um, as well yeah. as the show. How much has social media altered print publications, print, uh, well, just print in general? You know, um, it, that's an interesting question. I'm one that feels like the pendulum um, kind of swings back and forth to different forms of media. And what's really funny is ever since I started print way back in like 2002 um, with Zebra Publishing, back with Bill Krenz, that's kind of how I first got introduced to Patrick that you worked for a long time ago. Um, and I've been told that print is, oh, print's dying, print's dead. Well, that's not something that we see happening um you know right now the the entire industry is in kind of a little bit of a downturn that i'm hoping uh turns around here pretty soon but uh in the midst of all that print has remained pretty darn strong um i think when social media first came out um there was a there was well there's no doubt it, it's a it's a staple now something that everybody that has any kind of brand or service or uh uh, product they they need to have. Um, it's how consumers have come to interact with a brand. But, you know, the early adopters that got on board, you know, several years back, you know, I think just like we were talking about, when it first, when I first started, like, with Instagram, I felt like I had stuff that really shined on there. It was relatively easy to get somebody's attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, that what I would say about it is I kind of compare it to, 
I've been driving the same two-mile stretch of highway for the last 10 years, okay, going back and forth to work. And 10 years ago, somebody threw a billboard up on the side of the road. And, you know, I drove by that billboard, and I was like, oh, man, that's an awesome billboard. It has Aaron Schneider on it. And, you know, he's, he's shooting a struggle stick. And, you know, I could tell you everything about that billboard, okay? And fast forward 10 years, I'm still driving the same two-mile stretch road. I don't have any more time during that two-mile stretch than I ever did. But now there's 3,000 billboards on that stretch of road. And if somebody asks me, hey, uh, did you see my billboard? I'm like, well, uh, you know, technically, probably I, I did. I'd, I'd, I'd probably count as an impression. You know what I mean? But I can't really tell you anything about it. And, I mean, that's kind of where I feel like it is now. We don't have any more time than we ever did to sit there and scroll through social media. But now there's so, there is so much on your feed. You know, I'm sitting there on the can in my typical five minutes that I've got to look at social media and I'm scrolling, I'm flashing by billboards as fast as I can. And then, you know, once in a while I see, well, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. That billboard has my mom on it. You know, like I have a relationship with her outside of this. I'm going to stop and I'm going to see what she's doing because I really care about what she's doing. So I slow down on my little two mile stretch for a second. Look at that billboard. That one really made an impression on me. But then the rest of them, I keep, kind of keep on scrolling through until all of a sudden I come across, you know, Frank the Tank. And, oh, wait, I know Frank the Tank. And I'll stop and look at it. So I think that it's social media has become harder to do and harder to do well just because there's so much there, which in turn has kind of started swinging the pendulum back toward traditional forms of media because there's a cost of entry to traditional forms of media. Not just anybody can throw their billboard up in a magazine. You know what I'm saying? But like it or not, you know, my, my kid who's in college who doesn't have a pot to piss in and can't buy anything right now, really, um, man, he can throw billboards up all he wants, and so can every other person across the entire world. You know what I mean? So to kind of add to what you're saying there, one thing I found is, um, and, I, and I have a larger social media presence, and so I have a, a little bit more of a grasp as far as when people are, you know, there's people that follow my billboard personally, let's say, or yours, right? Because sure. it, it, yeah. it alerts them. Well, the one thing, though, and, and I've talked to a few, just because of what I've been shooting with the recurve and, and kind of the different things changing in the industry and different stories that might be worth writing because of the, the route Frank and I go may be different than the route that other people in the outdoors industry are getting is we can throw a quick billboard up on social media and I'll pick something very, very small, uh, the clicker on the recurve, right? It just clicks for a draw check. So, okay. Well, these guys, or, or how Frank and I just do cardio. We just do backpack cardio. We don't really get into the tire flipping, what do you want to call that, Frank? The selfie-taking side of social media. There's not a lot of... <laughs> sure, we don't, we don't hammer. We don't hammer, right? We don't, we don't hammer. <laughs> yeah. Where You've got that billboard with Cameron Haynes. He is a, he's running... Well, Frank and I don't run. Well, Frank runs a little. Uh, you could have a gun, yeah. Danny, and I wouldn't run from you. I'll just take the bullet. I hate running that much. I'll just get shot. I'm not going. <laughs> so, people yeah. have said, "Hey, man, can you write an article 
about applied physical fitness and that cannot be posted on social media. That has to go into print. It's too much data. It's too much info, too many photos. And while you're flashing through billboards, it's got to be direct a scalpel on social media where when you broaden that out, it's got to go to print. And so I've noticed a difference sure. lately agreeing with you that a lot of these print ma- you know, pu- publications have gotten a hold of me to say, hey, can you can you write an article on this? Um, because they want to get that out there above and beyond that blueprint I have on social media. They want to get that broad spectrum out. And I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it seems to be going no, that, that way in makes, my eyes. That makes absolutely perfect sense. I mean, there's a, there's a certain amount of credibility that comes with something that is in print, okay? Not just anybody can go put that article in print. You're being vetted. You're, you're not going to be in that print publication unless you're actually an expert. Now, sure, the people that actually follow you, that know who Aaron Schneider is, they know you're an expert in those things, and that's why they'll pay attention to it on social media. You know what I mean? And this, man, don't interpret this as, as a social media bash, bash session because it's not. You know, I'll be the first to acknowledge you absolutely need it for any brand. However, you know, Having that, having that piece in print and then directing people to the print product from your social media and, and things like that, yeah, it, there, there, there's a little more credibility that it carries just because it is there in print and not just anyone can be there. One of the things that I've been hit up on lately a lot from multiple, which I was surprised, it's like multiple different publications got together and thought, what are we going to cover in 19? Three different ones asked me to cover applied physical fitness. And part of it is I make the comment I've seen way more successful fat hunters than I have fit hunters. And I'm not bashing on fitness. Frank and I go to the gym every day. But the the art of animal behavior, field craft, woodsmanship, you know, the art of archery, tuning a bow, um, is lost sometimes to all out gear and fitness. And there's, yeah, I'm not going, I'm not bashing anything. Cause you're, I'm a, you're spot on with what you're saying. Like I completely follow what you're saying. And I also think that you're applied fitness and the, the, just the technique of getting on an incline with a backpack, with a heavy pack is in my opinion, at least for Western hunting is the absolute best thing that you could do. Before you go on a Western hunt, and I, you know, there's lots of people out there who have, you know, contacted me asking, "Oh man, what do I do to prepare for this thing?" And I'm like, "Dude, if you don't have any hills around you, you need to load down a pack, and I'm talking like 80 pounds or more, and get on a treadmill and take it to the highest incline, and hope you don't burn that treadmill up." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, Just to see how they feel, get used to to it. Yeah. That's that's the best way to do it in my mind, and uh, and I think you're right. You know, not to bash on anybody going to the gym all the time and everything, but there was a lot of times, especially when I was younger and had a little bit more spare time, where, you know, while some of the other guys were going and hitting the gym or whatever, I was out, you know, taking photos of deer, um, you know, wildlife photography or hunting coyotes or, you know, if... Uh, I don't know how many mornings I get out a year, but uh, if I was in the gym five days a week every single morning, 
boy, it really cut into what I actually do in the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and this kind of goes along the lines of, I would say Frank and I are not following the standard blueprint of podcasts in the outdoor industry in the sense of, oh, well, sorry, Frank, I don't really go to shows. Frank had to go. I went hunting, <laughs> all right? And, 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 and people ask yeah. me, why don't you go to shows? And I'm like, hey, you know what? I understand the meet and greet thing. I totally get it. But for me, if I've got a choice to set up three brand new bows, get some good content video-wise, Frank wants to go coyote hunting, and he's getting out in the field. If I have a choice between that and shows, because of the way yeah. I am, I want to go do those things. That I'm in the industry, I, you know, for one other reason, it's what I love to do, and and so that's what I'm I'm gonna go do. And and. You have done this a lot longer than I have in the sense of the the outdoor industry side of things. Um, you know, it's a it's a weird uh, God. How do I say this? Uh, uh, it's a weird dynamic, um, kind of figuring out and 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 who's legit, who's not. And and you, like you said, the print does kind of solidify if you're in a print magazine compared to social media that you you are actually getting after it. And I agree with that totally. Yeah, and not to say that there's not really legit guys that just are utilizing the social media platform, and that's all. There certainly are. And, you know, I think that that actually is, has become a form of discovery uh, for new talent, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, if you are somebody who's been regular, especially regularly published in, in, in print titles, you're somebody who's established. You know, it's that's just the it's just the way it goes. No, for for sure. I think, uh, you know, while we're talking about this, because you've been extremely successful, uh, you know, in your your whatever, quote unquote, hunting career, um, you, you do well. Um, well, what are you getting up to in age now? Not to you talk about numbers Dude, here, but how old are you? <laughs> I am 46 years old 40. and I'm at the point where. My body is becoming a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> well, so at forty, at forty-six, are you more or less successful? Everything being equal, than you were at thirty. More. Okay. Definitely well, more. Why is that? It's certainly not because you're fitter. Don't take this the wrong way. But we talked. You've <laughs> no, put on a few pounds. Why is it, dude? I I I heard you uh, tell Mark Smith one time that you know you remember seeing him and he had more chins than a Chinese phone book. <laughs> But I was like, oh, uh, I better look in the mirror. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's experience. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, it, it, it's reading body language. It's knowing when to be patient and when to push. Um, it's funny, and, and you, can, you can relate to this. I'm sure growing up here in Colorado, we can typically shoot one deer a year. We can typically shoot one elk a year. Well, you know, because you've been traveling a good bit, Aaron, you go to the south or you go to Missouri or, you know, parts of the Midwest, whatever. There are states where, you know, you can shoot a dozen deer a year or, you know, eight deer a year. You can shoot two a day in a lot of spots for 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, in my mind... um, those guys in those states sometimes, in, in some ways, have a pretty big advantage over us just because the, the amount of, you know, once you're done with your tag, 
here in Colorado, you know, we do do some pretty extreme things, distance shooting and, you know, things like that 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 make the Western bow hunter a pretty darn good bow hunter. But at the same time, as far as getting experience and close-up interaction with deer, we're kind of behind the eight ball on some of these guys. Um, there's guys in some of those states that we're talking about who have more deer killed by the time they're 25 or more experienced, you know, up close with deer and actually trying to decide when to draw and what to do and, you know, when to be patient and all those things than some of us Colorado boys have in our career. Well, Frank. You know what I mean? If we never leave the home state. The first time you went to Alabama, had, what did you probably kill? Frank's relative, what are you, 30 now? I'm 30. So what have you probably killed total before Alabama, 20, 30 animals total, gun and bow? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there probably. So you killed over half of that in one trip to Alabama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. I told Frank, I said, Frank, if you ever wonder why I have those ridiculous amount of numbers with a bow, you're about to find out because when you can shoot a deer a day yeah. or two deer a day, those numbers start, well, boy, you shot 11 the one time, didn't you? Yeah, I think on the one trip we did 11, and then <laughs> yeah. other trips like four or yeah. five or six or, you know, whatever. And, 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 and what you're saying is 100% correct. People don't realize if you start breaking down, okay, what happened during your hunt? Meaning, not that you scared them all off, but in the red zone. What you screwed up yeah. in your hunt Almost all of that is experience, meaning you blew the stock, you blew it in the red zone, where if you're getting more trigger time, more time to draw, you're learning every time. And if your only chance to learn is one time a year, you're just behind that the power curve. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. Because, that, you know, um, it's funny, as an industry guy, uh, you know, we there's definitely times that we have opportunities that the average guy doesn't have, and we're going... You know, a lot of industry people end up going to really good places and um, and things like that. And uh, you know, they um, they get that opportunity to have that trigger time. Well, your average your average guy that's hunting like out here in the West, especially that's hunting public land or something like that, it takes him a long time to get those encounters, just to get the number of encounters. Because you know, like most guys. It, I tell them, if you're going on an elk, elk hunt out west, for instance, if you end up with one opportunity on that hunt, it was a successful hunt. You know what I mean? Like, I, I agree it, with you. They'll come out here, and they're like, holy crap, it was slow, man. We only heard, you know, one bugle a day. And I was like, what do you mean slow? Yeah. <laughs> by what? By what standards? Well, what if you're I... going to a $10,000 ranch, that's slow. <laughs> if you're going on public land, that's a good day. You know what I mean? You you know, and I'm not going to talk too much about it. You and I talked about that one, one of the first conversations we had where you were like, hey, I, it looks like you know this area. And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, well, I've hunted it. <laughs> so Frank and I went in there this year in the end of season, and I had some physical issues. I blacked out and started shaking uncontrollably. But in there, there was elk everywhere. We saw one cow. Um but the elk were, when I say everywhere, the elk were gone, right? They had left the area from, from hunting pressure. And I have no doubt yeah. if Frank and I stayed in there for five, six, seven days, one of us would eventually probably killed one. We would have found them. The physical sure. stress on our bodies to find them would is hard to even describe in words or text just because of that area is 
one of the worst God put on the planet for to me, right? It's just a uh, rough absolutely area. Yep. And when guys yeah. email and you get this, I'm sure of I'm not looking for a three fifty bull. I'm just letting yeah, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I'm like, dude, shoot the first thing you see if this is your first hunt out yeah. west. Yeah, yep. Kind of the same uh, guys that gym, go to the gym and they're like, look, I don't want to look like Arnold. Well, that's good because you're never going <laughs> to look like Arnold, right? I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it took a lot of drugs and protein to get to look like Arnold. So for those three, I, I look like Arnold underneath it all. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> current Arnold. <laughs> yeah, current Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> You start talking like 350 bulls, in in my opinion, public land, in a lifetime of hunting, if you shoot one 350 bull, public land OTC, not draw tags. If you've shot one and you average a cow or a raghorn every year and you shoot a 280 to 300 bull every five to eight and you shoot one over 350, you are a pretty freaking badass hunter. You are an awesome you are an awesome elk hunter, and if you ever get turned loose on the ranch hunt, they're in trouble. And I try to explain that to guys coming out west. Like, guys, look, you watched Primos too much. I love Primos. I watch yeah. them too. I watch the Truth 1 through 79 or however many that are out now because it, it shows sure. an awesome hunt. You will not probably yeah. receive that when you get here, but... That yeah. one time you do, it'll be something you'll remember forever. And you've hunted public land a ton. I mean, it's not like you're hunting uh, private ranches all the time. So, I still do. I mean, even for my TV stunt, uh, TV stuff, it's you know, every now and again, you'll see me go to an outfitter, and I'm not anti-outfitter by any means. Um, but I, I've discovered over the years that I'm a terrible client. So. One of the, th- you know, and I really, part of what I get out of every hunt is, is the challenge of figuring it out, where I want to, you know, where I want to set up, when I want to go, how I want to do it, you know what I mean? And it's something that I can, I guess was kind of ingrained in me at an early age because that was the only way I could afford to do it, and that's how I grew up doing it. But um, to your point, there, and, and we got to qualify a little bit about what we're saying regarding 350 bulls and everything. And just so you know, my goal is to have one 350 bull in my entire life, my hunting career. If I, if, you know, if I get one killed with a bow before I die, then I will have been a, a success. And I've had one opportunity. I messed it up, and that was, you know, early in my 20s, like like you were talking about. I was real fit, wasn't that good of a hunter yet. Um, but long story short, if you're hunting, you're, we're Colorado boys talking about this. So yeah, on the average public land over the counter unit here in Colorado, like I said, if you get one opportunity, it's a successful hunt. So if that opportunity happens to be on a, you know, five point two and a half year old, you better shoot because that it will likely be, it's, it's, it's very likely to be your only opportunity. However, if you're a public land hunter in New Mexico or Arizona or Utah or whatever, the standards change just a little bit there because they've got a different, um, a different herd dynamic. You know what I mean? Um, but here in Colorado, you're exactly right. If you're going to an over-the-counter um, 
public land unit, man, three <laughs> three hundred is a is a tremendously lofty goal. You know what I mean? Um, and these guys that think that they're that they're coming out here and that that's what they're going to get into are usually in for uh, a, a sore surprise. My dad killed a a three fifty back in two thousand eight uh, up there in that area that you and I are talking about. And like that is the highlight of my elk hunting career so far. As we're talking about this, I mean, go ahead, go ahead and finish up with your dad and that, and then I'll, I'll kind of ad lib from there. I shouldn't have interrupted. I was just, I was just saying, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been hunting elk since I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, and you know, that's the only, you know, as far as my own hunting, I know a lot of people who have killed bulls over 350 in other States or, in you know premium draw units um things like that or on outfitted hunts but as far as public you know here in our state public land over the counter that's the only 350 bull i've ever had any experience with so you know that that should just put things in perspective for people well well frank how that bull we saw this year or last year he was he was hitting that 350 mark he was uh I mean, he's big. Yeah, that, that one. Mm-hmm. So that bull was yeah. roughly eleven miles in. But, and now, I I will say Frank was quite a bit more energetic to kill that thing than I was, because um, I was like, well, do you think we can, are we going to be able to get it out? Like we were so far <laughs> in, we were coming out the other side. And I remember you had said, well, dude, we can come from the bottom. And I'm like, do you think we can get to it? And then we start talking about taking. I mean, this is this is the depths you have to go to to kill a public land bull of this size. And I think you thought I thought it was it. You thought it was bigger. Than I did. I thought I think I thought it was a little bigger. And then you got a closer look. Yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, it was you're taught not a sixty inch main beam bull, but low fifty main beam bull. Um, good time length throughout. Six years old and had cows. And so I'm like. Okay, the strategy here, we're going to have to take two vehicles, park one at one trailhead, one at the other, kill it, come out to the other trailhead, make multiple trips, if we can even get on it, because we've, we've you know, found a unicorn. That's just how yeah. it is with those big, big bulls um, in, in Colorado yeah. on public land. Yes. Yeah, that's and, exactly right. They are unicorns. Yeah, and, way to put and they're smarter because they've been hunted more. You take a kid, 13-year-old kid in the United States, playing Nintendo, right, or whatever it is they play now, and, you know, grab an ice cream and, okay, take a kid from, I don't know, Ethiopia or uh, yeah. wherever. That kid is going to be harder. It's going to be smarter. It's going to have better because it's lived in, in some areas, a combat zone. Well, this poor bastard elk, he's been hunted his entire life by every yahoo from Maine to Washington, right? Like, yeah. so he didn't yeah. get that big by being dumb. So not only just getting to him is a problem, getting an arrow into him is even worse. So uh, not, and I'm yeah. not complaining about Colorado, but it, it is, there's a lot of hunters here. Well, I've got complaints about Colorado too, but we'll go into that another time. There's, <laughs> you know, we're we're a little crowded on some of our some of our uh, over-the-counter units these days. Do you guys think that it'll be less out-of-state hunters since you have to buy a small game license now as an out-of-state guy? It, so it basically bumped up cost what like an extra eighty-five dollars or so. 
I, we talked about it yesterday. I don't think it's going to make a bit of difference. But, I, man, we did a podcast about this. I got so much hate mail. One guy, remember that one dude called me a crybaby bitch because I wanted to put <laughs> no. caps on over-the-counter tags? Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, dude. Um, I might get called a crybaby by a few people here, too. But uh, we are the – no, I don't think it's going to slow it down, Frank, to answer your question. Um we're the only state um, that offers unlimited uh, over-the-counter opportunities for elk. And in one way, I'm, you know, uh, I'm tickled about that. And, you know, like I don't want to see, I don't want to see that in um, just for the sake of our sport. You know, one of the misconceptions that I think that we have here in Colorado is I, I was recently at one of our public feedback meetings and, you know, listen to this stat spit out there where I think 15 years ago there were like, I forget, 24,000 uh, over-the-counter archery bull tag, or, you know, archery elk tags sold. And fast forward 15 years later, now we're at 50,000. So Colorado's under the impression that archery and bow hunting is growing. Well, Across the nation, that's not necessarily true. It's stagnant at best and probably falling off. The, the opportunities are tougher and tougher. But when you look at the western states, all of the states that have elk around our borders, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, Wyoming, all of them are draw exclusively for out-of-staters. So uh, for all non-residents, anybody who's putting in for the draw in all those states, well, Colorado's the plan B. It's like if we don't draw somewhere, we're going to go to Colorado and into an over-the-counter unit. Now, I, I think that the, the breakdown that I heard at that meeting, and I think that this is a three-year-old stat, and if I don't have it exactly right, forgive me, but um, it was over 50% three years ago, over 50% of the over-the-counter archery elk hunters were non-residents. Okay. I think now, I got the current data a, was 57% or 63% as of today. Okay, now, just to put that in perspective, um, in New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming, I don't think any of those states allow any more than 20% non-residents to be drawn in their, uh, in their entire draw. And some states like New Mexico, it's like, what, 6% or something like that? Sir, I, man, and Her I don't Harold had all that. I think it was 3 in New Mexico is what he had, 3%. Yeah. I, I think it's 6% if you go with an outfitter, if you put in with an outfitter, and then 3% if you put in on your own. Um, and so, you know, here in Colorado, it's not like I want to see us go to the New Mexico 6% rule or anything. But there's no doubt we've got some overcrowding issues. And we are the only state around that shows, you know, bow hunting booming like that. And it's just because we're the only option for a lot of people. So rather than have our guys, you know, I'm a firm believer that you have to take care of your residents first, okay? Because the fact of the matter is I think it's like one in ten bow hunters, I'm not sure about hunting overall, but one in 10 bow hunters will ever leave their home state to bow hunt. And a lot of industry people are shocked by that because we're traveling all over the place. But that's the reality is one in 10 will ever leave their home state. 
So you've got to make sure that there's opportunities for bow hunters in your in your home state. Maybe we could cap it at like you know 35% non-residents or um, you know based on the number of over-the-counter tags sold last year, we're going to cap it at what would be 35% of those tags for non-residents. That will just it will still allow a an ample number of, of non-residents to get in on it. You know, but they're you know they'd have to set a date um, for the purchase of those over-the-counter with caps tags to non-residents after all the draws are done. So these people have, you know, an understanding of or have some idea of whether they drew anywhere else or not. And then they'd have an opportunity to, you know, to get in line and, and try and get those tags before they're gone. But, you know, at 35%, that's still a heck of a lot of tags out there. You know what I mean? And it it would reduce our 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 pressure problem. It, it would. And I was trying to explain this to some of, and I didn't get a ton of hate mail, but I got, you know, guys very passionate. I want to head sure. out West every year. Who are you to, you know, lower my numbers? And I'm like, well, who am I? I'm just a dipshit that's on a podcast, but I'm telling you what I see and what I like and what I think sure. is best. Cool. And I would rather you come out every other year and have a whatever, pulling this out of my ass, 60% yeah. increased chance in harvesting an animal then I would you come yes. out every year and fuck it up for everyone. And I'm not saying specific yeah. people, meaning just total total numbers. And yeah. I, I just I to me, um well let's Frank, what's a good one we get in Alberta, right? Let's say Alberta, we go hunt Alberta every year. I have been and Frank did last year. If I had the choice sure. of a better hunt every other year for Alberta than yeah. I did every year in a lesser hunt. I would choose to hunt every other year knowing I have a better opportunity when I'm there rather than just carrying around a, a weapon for the greater good of carrying around a weapon. I want to take put an animal on the ground because I'll carry my camera with no weapon other times, you know? Yeah, they have a legitimate chance. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, you know... It seems to me like there's some common sense things that wouldn't be that hard to employ, but uh, I think it, when I was at that meeting recently, it wasn't hard to pick up on the fact that Colorado and the Wildlife Commission, they are looking at it like, okay, um, why are we going to limit the non-residents that pay high money to come in here? Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's limit it. They're looking at options. Really, really looking at options right now that basically involve reducing both residents and non-residents, capping it for both residents and non-residents, which I think is a tremendous mistake. You don't, you don't limit your residents' opportunities. You know, I know that it's a, a money thing, a budgeting thing. Um, however, if if they do that, then it's a sign that hey, <laughs> we. They'll be doing something that's very unhealthy for our sport, in my opinion. And, you know, on that note, you go to what they've done with, uh, with our preference point system now. And as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, you know, they went from a pay-first, pay-up-front up system, you know, that we've had for a very, very long time. And last year... They went to, okay, rather than charging people for, you know, putting in uh, for their tags up front, you're going to be able to put in for all the species you want for $3 each. 
And as you guys saw, I think it, it increased like the, uh, the moose draw like 600% or something like that. It just made it, it was a mistake and they knew it. So what they've got decided to do is go to this system where they are going to charge you residents and non-residents. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the non-resident fee is, but for non-residents, they're going to charge you $50 per preference point, okay? And so, like, basically, if you want to put a what, – what did it cost prior to all this just to put in for all of the species? It was close to 1000 bucks for a re- for, resident. Yeah, for a resident. I think it was – if you did moose, goat, sheep, elk, mule deer, counting the, the standard ones, too, I, it was upwards of, like, 1200 and change with all of them. Right. So – it went from, you know, like I said, I have three sons, and all three of them are out of the house, and all three of them are, you know, knocking on the, they're, they're right, two of them are in their early 20s, and one's about to turn 20. They're at the point where it's about time for dad to start turning over some of the responsibility for putting in every year to them. And our prior system, you know, even though it's hard to understand, and I mean, a kid has to be pretty motivated to figure this out in the first place. Like, he's got to basically get a bachelor's degree to understand what the heck he's doing, where he can go, what he can do, you know, how this entire system works. It was already pretty hard. Now, instead of being able to tell them, here's what we're going to do, son, I'm going to, we're going to apply for a credit card for you. And you're going to go ahead and you're going to put all of your, all of your tags that you have to pay up front on this credit card. And then after a couple, you know, you're going to have to make probably one minimum payment on the credit card while you're waiting to get your refunds. But then your refunds come, you pay the credit card off, you start building your credit, and it was a good, it was, it was a good lesson for them as they're starting to build their credit. And at the same time, it, you know, it kind of vetted out the people who weren't so serious. You had to be kind of serious to go ahead and decide to put, as a resident, $250 on your card for to put in for the moose draw, for instance, and then for sheep and for goat and all those things. So, you know, only the serious people were doing it. Well, now I'm looking at my son and saying, man, just to put in for the regular species, son, just, just elk, deer, and antelope kind of our staples here in Colorado. It's going to cost you 150 bucks non-refundable now. And that's in addition to the to the tag fees if you draw anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm sorry but these 20-year-olds, dude, they don't have they don't have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're already looking at we're looking at this huge problem across our entire country where we're losing 60-year-olds faster than we're gaining 20-year-olds. There is no doubt that's what's happening to our industry right now. And we keep making it harder on these young guys. And to me, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, we've, we've got all kinds of programs out there that are, de- that are designed um, uh, to recruit bow hunters and, and hunters alike. You know, we've got youth programs galore. But nobody's trying to retain them. If, yeah. if a 20-year-old gets out there and he can't afford it or he can't figure out where to go or 
there's no public land around. Imagine being a 20-year-old in Texas and just looking at, you know, this kid can barely afford the gas to go do what he wants to do. And when he, when he figures out that, um, okay, I can barely afford to buy used equipment and, and get outfitted, if he doesn't have a dad or uncle or somebody that's in, that, that has some property for him to hunt, dude, he's not going to be able to pay a lease. And what's going to happen to that kid? You're going to lose him. He's going to become a golfer. He's going to become a runner. He's going to become a, a fisherman. Something other than hunting is what's going to happen to him. No, and, and so Chris Rowe and I went round and round a bit about this. So Chris, you know, and Chris is a unique individual with like, <laughs> let me just work on the habitat, whatever. And I'm like, you know, he's like, okay, so you're saying you want to increase hunter numbers, but then you complain when it's overcrowded. And I'm like, Chris, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, like, I want people to vote pro-hunting. I don't want to be, have yeah. 10,000 people voting pro-hunting in my unit. That I mean, as I Chris, that's yeah. common sense. There is a happy medium with everything. Of course, I want to instruct, inform, educate people about hunting. I want them to vote pro-hunting. But that doesn't mean I want every swing and Richard in the woods at one time. There has to be a happy medium. And when you start talking about... Um, you know, lessening tags or, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And of course, I, I think personally, once a guy has a good quality hunt, he is going to be more apt to vote for that every other year or every third year than he would to vote for a shitty hunt every year. Um, and yeah, it, that's because I have had, I have drawn some limited, um, entry tags. I've, I've had the, um, fortune to go call and help guide for guys on, you know, the, the higher point units and things like that. And those are ones like, yeah, I'll wait three to four years to draw that. And, you know, of course you want to go hunting all the time. There's gotta be, like I said, there's gotta be a balance, but you know, if you're just crushing every year, like you're just lucky to see an animal that's going to drop numbers too. And, pretty soon it's like well i didn't see any animals for the last three or four years i'm not even going to buy a tag i'm just going to take my wife backpacking this year i'd say that's a loss yeah. we probably lost that person yeah yeah that's that's exactly right that's exactly right well i mean like we were talking about with the over-the-counter tags and the crowding that's happening when we consider that every state around us has you know south of 20%, like I said, some much lower than that, non-residents. Well, if we did something, you know, just common sense, like you were saying, right now it's like 57% of our over-the-counter tags are non-residents. If if we took, I think there's 50,000 or so um, over-the-counter archery tags that were sold in the last couple of years, round about 50,000. Well, 50, uh, 57% of that, or if you take the Converse, which would be what? I'm trying to do math in my head. Um, 30 something percent or 20, 28%. What's 33? 33. 33% of 50,000s. Look at the big brain uh, on Brad. Good job, 20, Frank. 20, yeah, there we go, Frank. There we go. I've been hitting the head too many times to do that. Um, so if we've got 28,000 non residents, that are buying over-the-counter tags out there, if we just, you know, if, if we added, you know, 35% to that, 
you know, it just reduces our numbers. We're still making good money. We've still got good, uh, um, we've still got good opportunities for, for non-residents, and we're not restricting the opportunities for our residents, which is the most important thing to me. You know what I mean? And it, it just, like you were talking about, we're from a state that we've got a limited resource. We're not like Ohio or somebody that, you know, they can't kill enough deer. They literally, no matter what they do, they can't seem to, to, uh, to thin them out enough um, uh, to meet their objectives. Well, here, we don't have that problem. We've got, you know, we've got too many hunters that, that want to go hunting for the number of animals that we have. We've got to do something. It's just, it's, it's common sense. So the decision is, uh, you know, do we, do we restrict our, our residents at the same uh, pace that we do our, our non-residents, or do we try and apply some common sense limitations to the number of non-residents that are coming in? And I think the decision's easy right up until you start talking about the cash involved. And that's what it all comes down to, is cash. Well, and, and I'm going to complain here for a second, complain meaning a couple of the complaints I got, the guy said I'm selfish by what we talked about because I you know, don't want more out-of-state hunters here. I want to control the numbers. Now, you know, I immediately retaliated with, I just went through all of our PMs back and forth for the last four years. I've answered every question you've had. We were provide free content, multiple different avenues. I told you where to go. I told you how to get there. I told you what gear to run. And the moment you hear one slight thing where I say, hey, let's put caps on over-the-counter tags, I'm a selfish bastard. <laughs> Okay, well, let's look at that a little bit deeper. What happens when the in-state hunters that have a voice or influence in the industry stop helping, stop because it's just not worthwhile? Because in the end, a lot of this is about, um, for some people, is going to be about, um, well, Frank and I are doing this for free, Um, obviously. Yeah. With, with, you know, we're we're not getting paid. We get cool gear or whatever, but... If I'm going to get hate mail when I'm trying to make a hunt better for someone, I can't speak for Frank. I'm not going to be I'm going to be less apt to help you out because I'm looking at the big picture. I'm not looking just to show up every year. I'm looking that you're going to have a large, a great chance of success when you put boots on the ground here. You and I have hunted here forever. Frank, you've hunted here for 15 years since you were 14, 15. Since I was a kid. And, and and if if we and you've hunted how long have you been hunting in Colorado, Danny? Me? Yeah. Oh shoot! Since I was since I was twelve. Yeah. So what do you got there? Thirty four years? Is that right? Thirty four years? No more I mean, math. You're asking me no to do more math, math in questions. my head <laughs> I again. The other and I know I, just, I know I just screwed that math up a minute ago, and there's going to be somebody out there saying that guy's an idiot. Well, I was I wrong too. It was forty three. It wasn't thirty three. <laughs> <laughs> I just backed. I just backed out of that conversation. <laughs> Let's my, stop talking numbers here. <laughs> my football coach always you're, said it's better to be stu- stupid than speak and remove all doubt. So I walked away from the math <laughs> equation. <laughs> but, but, but you you know you talk about that and you have what 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 Bart Laster, Lancaster called uh, the um, citizen science. You've got the people on the ground uh, out there, and we see larger and larger and larger numbers in the field. You see elk acting differently. Uh, you know populations. You know where they're living, where they're moving, how fast they're dropping in elevation, when they're going to private land, what they're doing. 
It's a good, I think the vote should not be cast to everyone. It should be looked at it not just from a monetary standpoint, but it also from a, a, a standpoint of biology, because it's not everything is about money. I would like to be hunting elk and shooting elk for a long period of time, and we just basically burn it out, which it seems where it's kind of heading. It's a short-sighted goal, or a short-sighted um, plan anyway. Right. Well, it's a frustrating thing here in Colorado, the way that our system, you know, as, as you to probably realize uh, we switched from the Colorado Division of Wildlife a few years back to the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife. So we're now part of the Parks Division, and we've got this commission that sits up there of appointed um, uh, of appointed people that sit on this commission. I forget how many of them there are. What are there? Seven? Something like that. Yep. Um, maybe there's more than that. Um, and you know, when, when, when I'm talking to wildlife agents that actually have their boots on the ground out there, you can tell that they're being hamstrung, what, they're, what they can say, what they can't say. Um, and then, you know, like the, the meeting that I went to here recently, the number one solution, you know, we were all being asked, out of these five solutions for over the, overcrowding in over-the-counter elk season, um, which one do you prefer? Well, the one solution that all of us agree on in that room, which is, you know, establishing some some common sense limitations for non-resident over-the-counter tags, that one's not on their ballot of the five things to do. All of the things that they have on that on on that list of decisions have to do with also limiting resident hunters along with non-residents and all of us have the same question we, we finally drilled down to it we're asking the poor lady that's running this meeting why is the number one solution that all of us can think of not on this list of solutions and she basically said um we were given the talking points that we were allowed to talk about well, that doesn't seem so there, fair. There you, there you have it. <laughs> no, it doesn't, dude. And it's it's going to be up to us here in this state. Um, uh, there's a bunch of us who need to get together and get a petition together um, of some sort to get these commissioners' attention on this and say, listen, you know what what you're doing here is it's it's not good for it's not good for any of us. No, no, and you Definitely know, definitely not good for. Go ahead. Well, I just got, you know, I've, I've had, since I'm shooting a recurve now, you know, the thing on the, the, the guys on the traditional side have talked about, uh, you know, is, do we have traditional archery seasons? Do we have traditional archery units? How the different things get broken up? I don't person, I mean, I'd be lying if somebody said you can go hunt with a bunch of other stick bow hunters if I wouldn't be excited about that. But I don't mind hunting with compound guys at all. Doesn't, doesn't bug me. Um, but when you start talking about, okay, they shortened the sheep season and added it to uh, for bow hunters and added the dates for rifle hunters. Oh, you've yeah. got to deal with muzzleloader hunters during archery season. You know, there's all these different aspects or issues as a bow hunter you run into. I don't even know how bad yeah. it is for out-of-state hunters for rifle. I'd imagine it's pretty bad. And and so as when you talk about petitions, it, it certainly seems like it would be smart for the, well, their new name, the Division of Parks and Wildlife, to sit down at a roundtable with um, – 
people with a lot of applied knowledge, not just outfitters, because they're going to have a swayed opinion because they're outfitters, not nothing against them. They're going to have their dog in the fight. Then you're going to have a, just a local boy like Frank and I that want to go out and hunt. Uh, you know, and you get all these different perspectives. I would almost guarantee the people with the applied, kind of like what you're saying, the applied hands-on views of it are probably all going to agree. And I don't understand why that does not get looked at a lot more. And it doesn't seem to be from, from the outside looking in so far that gets overlooked. Generally, right. it seems because of money. Well, now that we've made all the Colorado non-residents mad at us, um, <laughs> maybe we should switch gears. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Well, um, sw- swapping gears. Are you? What are you? Go ahead. <laughs> what are you? What are you? What are you looking forward to hunting coming up? Uh, oh, everything, Frank. Goats, goats for me. We're going on a goat hunt in Alaska. I'm super excited. Yeah, we've got uh, turkey, a couple turkey hunts. Um, I think I got a pig hunt. I don't know if Frank's going on that or not because I think I forgot to ask him. Uh, black bear. I'm going on a brown bear hunt. We're doing high country mule deer, antelope, mountain goat, uh, Alberta mule deer, uh, several whitetail hunts. Frank, you're going to Idaho. Holy moly. Yeah, there's a lot. I think I even forgot some. So there's quite a bit of hunts coming up. Well, um, have you hunted brown bears before? Uh, no. Well, a grizzly, not brown bear. Man, that is a that's a dream hunt. Good luck on it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm taking the struggle stick. So um, you look. Actually, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm using it for everything from here on out. Um, the by far for the, for the rest of your for the rest of your career you're going to go with the struggle struggle stick yeah yeah i've had good luck with it this year um you know and in, in, in 16 i had good luck with it so i i like it um uh, makes me work a bit harder but i i definitely out of all those hunts the we're going with lonesome dove outfitters up in alaska that that one for for mountain goats yeah. the one i'm most excited about i follow those guys on uh on instagram um they uh uh, lonesome dub outfitters i did not realize that they that they knew you uh, seems like pretty pretty good outfit yeah we've had him on the podcast twice i guess um which is cool dennis zadra is his name and yeah it'll be cool we'll have to do at some point in time we'll try and do a hunt together me you and frank and uh i don't know are we in the cool click can we even do that how's that work <laughs> you're more important than we are is it like a formal invitation no <laughs> absolutely not dude i'll tell you what you compare my hunt list to yours and you're gonna see who the cool click is real quick uh i you know i've been i've been crippled by football season for the last i don't know shoot my son's 20 years old he'll be a uh, a red shirt, red shirt junior next year. Um, so he's got two more years of college ball left. And, you know, since he was in, him and my other boys have been playing since they were second or third grade, something like that. And so for all these years, every fall, I've been trying to plan my hunts around being back home either on Friday night for a you know high school game or Saturday for a little league game, and now the last two years has been you know I, I might be in Colorado, might be needing to get to South Dakota and New Mexico or Utah, Idaho, and 
So literally, I've had to break everything up. There's been times where, no kidding, I've driven back from, like, central Kansas and driven, you know, 10 hours, watched a football game on Saturday, and left and went straight back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I've got two more years of that, and then I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm kind of being unleashed. That and my daughter, you know, she'll be done with her fall volleyball uh, at that same time. She's got two years left of it, too. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it um, coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, no, that'll be cool. I, and you're a good dad, though. I got to say, most guys wouldn't do, and I pay attention. I, you enjoy, it seems like, doing that, even though it takes away from hunting, which is cool to see. Well, the, you know, hunting's going to be there. And, um, you know, I, you don't get those times back. You know what I mean? This last year, there was a, there was a game down in New Mexico that I was going to, uh, you know, I was going to go down to it and then drive out to uh, Kansas. And it ended up to where things, man, between our, we were filming that hunt for Bowhunter TV and the dynamics between where the cameraman was going to have to come in and when he, when they could get him flown in, where I had to pick him up, it just wasn't going to work. So I decided that I'm going to watch that game on uh, on TV, on closed circuit TV. So <laughs> we get out there and I'm staying at my buddy Matt Palmquist and for some reason the RMAC, the conference closed circuit TV system went down that day. And literally the way that we end up watching that game is basically play-by-play box score. I'm not watching video of it, I'm just watching what the results of the last play were on every single play. And in the, you know, like in the first half of the ball game, it's a, it's a tight ball game. And all of a sudden, you know, Western State, where my son plays, is on defense. And all of a sudden, Western State goes up by seven. And I'm like, what the heck? What, you know, what happened? And the next thing you know, it says, you know, Lane Ferris, 60 yard fumble return for a touchdown. Oh, I could have freaking just, like, I am so angry that I missed his 60-yard <laughs> fumble return for a touchdown right now. Like, and I killed the biggest whitetail of my life on that hunt. You know what I mean? It is it's 175-inch deer decoyed him in on the ground on public land. It was absolutely one of the coolest things I've ever done. And I think that I would trade that deer to go watch that, that touchdown play. Yeah, well, obviously, your son must be a machine. It looks like he's a stout individual. Um, <laughs> is he? Uh, is it something for him? Is that something he had that desire for? I guess from the beginning, as far as football, was he just ate up with it? Where he that was something you knew he was going to want to do? Yeah, um, that all of them. All of them were pretty good athletes. I had another one that was wrestling in college up until this year. Um, yeah, he loved football from the get-go, uh, but it's really funny. I was looking back at a video uh, of him shooting his first turkey with a bow when I think he was 10 years old. And at the end of this video, I just sent it to a buddy the other day. He says, he, he, right at the very end, he says, I'll tell you what, my favorite thing in the world to do is play football, but this beats it. And ever since then, 
you know, you can see this conflict in him. Like he, he loves that his two loves don't get along. You know what I mean? And he is, uh, tell him to stay away from women. Then, so it doesn't add a third. <laughs> yeah. love. Well, he does. Like he doesn't, you know, he, he's, he's really funny. My younger son went out to see him for his 21st birthday, just a, a couple of weeks ago. And they show up and, my younger son comes back and I said, Hey, you know, this was, is Lane keeping his nose straight? And he says, Oh man, he's the last one we have to worry about getting his nose crooked. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, the night that he's turning 21, he's going to be 21 at midnight. Um, all of his buddies and his, his cousin goes to school there and plays soccer. And evidently all of the cousins, girl soccer player buddies are, pretty you know the boys say they're uh they're 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 a good crowd to hang around um <laughs> anyway Casey's like all these hot girls want to know what we're going to do lane you got to kick loose on your 21st birthday what are we going to do and lane looks at them and says my brother came out to see me and i am taking him ice fishing in the morning we have to be in bed at a decent time <laughs> and i guess his younger brother casey's looking at him like what what do you mean we're going ice fishing in the morning? And, and sure enough, Lane had them at home in bed by like 1030 and they were up before sunrise going out onto the ice. But, uh, so he's, he's got his head screwed on pretty straight as far as that goes. Um, but there's this conflict in him all the time, man. I went, I'm, I'm afraid when he graduates from school that, uh, we aren't going to see him very much during the fall. He's been deprived of it for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, that's cool though, and uh, and it's I mean as far as seems pretty well rounded. Following your photos, it seems like he kills some shit too. So that's good. He's good at football and he's good at hunting. So that's cool. His hand it sounds like yeah. he's got a well rounded head on his shoulders. So yep, yep. He uh, all three of my boys are are hunters. My girl is a is a good bow hunter too. Um, but as far as the boys go, you know they they all love it at different levels, and you know you've got. Some kids that are like good for a couple of hikes, and they're like, "Oh, let's 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 drive around and see what we see." Uh, and then you've got other kids that, if they think there's a spike buck on the backside of Pike's Peak that they might have a chance at, they're going. Well, that's Lane. Like he's he is that wound up with it. You know what I mean? He's really got the bug. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, man, we're hitting about an hour here. What uh, is there anything I'd like you kind of highlight with uh, for people to check out as far as the television show and the publications you're working with? Um, I have not done my job and sent you an article because I suck. Although I think I told you <laughs> would like five times, but um, you know, and where they can kind of find you and check out what you're doing as far as in the outdoors as well. Well, you can visit bowhunter.com. Uh, we've got. Lots of subscription opportunities on bowhunter.com, or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram, whatever your preferred path is. Um, Bowhunter TV airs on the Sportsman's Channel and the Outdoor Channel. Um, You can find us on either network, and, um, you know, we've got a a pretty um, well-rounded concophony of hunts on that thing you know we're not necessarily one of these shows that exclusively concentrates on on whitetails um but we you know whatever season it is around the country we're really uh chasing north america north american big game uh as as best we can 
Um, got a lot of guys with with a lot of experience on there. We, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we recently lost our longtime editor. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, White shoe. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, well, he was awesome. Still, yeah. he's awesome. He's a man. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. He uh, he was he was a stud. And coming up this spring, we're we're gonna have a. Uh, I don't know what the air dates are just yet, but everybody ought to walk, you know, look out for it. We've got a Dwight Shoe Memorial episode where we're going to be showing hunts of Dwight's and, you know, in a, a bunch of footage featuring Dwight going way back to the beginning of the show, like 15 years ago. Um, and it's, it's really funny. Him and Larry D. Jones, uh, which were the oldest two guys on our crew, and, you know, you were – this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Were you better now that you're older or better when you were younger and in better shape? Those two guys historically have laid down the most compelling footage that we've ever had. Dwight and Larry D. Jones has. And, you know, they've done it in their, you know, late 60s and 70s, you know? Yeah. And Larry, everything he's done has been with the struggle stick. And here I am. I, I love shooting one. I just don't have the guts to go out. I, I just kind of look at it like I'm challenged enough with the, you pussy. With the wheel boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, well, cool. Well, well, no, man, that'll thanks be for good. having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I yeah. Let's try and get you on again. Um, uh, it, it'd be great. And, yeah, hopefully we can get together and do a hunt sometime. All right, man. We will, we will talk to you sometime soon. Keep keeping on. All right, sounds good. Take it easy. All right, we'll see you.